0: Welcome to In Layers, where we explore the people and the tech behind artificial intelligence. I'm your host, Ron Green, and I'm excited to be joined today by Dr. Jonathan Mugen. We're going to discuss some of the significant advances made in robotics recently. Dr. Mugen is a research scientist at Dunbra, an artificial intelligence company based in Austin, Texas. He earned his Ph.D. from the University of Texas at Austin, where his thesis focused on how a robot can awaken in a world and learn about its surroundings in a manner similar to that of a human child. His research primarily centers on empowering robots to independently construct models from their surroundings. Dr. Mugen is also the author of The Curiosity Cycle, Preparing Your Child for the Ongoing Technological Explosion, a book for parents to help their children build curiosity by building models of their environment. Well, welcome, Jonathan. I'm excited to have you on board today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So we're going to talk about robotics, and this is a field that I actually am really unfamiliar with. I've I've never done anything professionally there. Um, Maybe kick off a little bit with Um, The background, what is the current state of robotics and how has it shifted uh, pretty dramatically recently?
1: Yeah, so for decades we've been trying to hard code what a robot should do and build control laws for how it should walk and not fall over and pick up things. And that's been slow. Obviously we know that robots have been mostly in industrial settings where they do the same thing over and over again. And we've had a hard time putting in the subconscious intelligence they need to be able to act just like we do without ever thinking about it. But there's been a big shift recently, as we've seen in the last 10 years, with natural language processing and image processing and video processing. All these deep learning neural network type stuff are now trying, are starting to make their way into the robotics world. And we're now starting to see some significant progress in robotics.
0: So so robotics, it sounds like, you know, yet another area. You mentioned computer vision and natural language processing, where these deep lear- learning techniques are starting to dominate. Um, are, is, the, is the deep learning technique within robotics, is it like what part of the process is it involved in? Is it the core modeling software? that drives the robot, is it, or is it also involved in the training? Like what is may, – maybe build a foundation for us here.
1: Yeah, so um, when, about 20 years ago I used to work with a professor, and he joked that uh, robotics was a silly thing to be in because all you had to do was have it pick up a pen and you could earn a Ph.D. <laughs> and, 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 we, and the reason that was so interesting is because for us we don't even have to think about that. That's, right. It's, but for a robot, you had to, like, program in all of these different joints, and we don't even realize how hard it is, and you got to pick the, which grip you're going to use and your hand signal and then your hand shape, and then you have to not crush the thing when you pick <laughs> it up. Like, all these things have to happen, and it's actually really hard. And so we you know, trying to write differential equations to get these things to work, and it turns out, if you just let a neural network try hundreds of thousands of times, eventually... It can work these things out. And the reason it took us so long to get these neural network things into robotics is because it's not easy to get training data. So obviously, like with ChatGPT, it just reads the Internet and it has everything we, you know, we've ever said as a society or you know watches YouTube and everything. And there's just so much training data. But for robotics, there really hasn't been that much training data. And so that's really slowed things down. But what we're seeing recently is people are starting to use more simulation to train robots. Mm. And so you can set up a simulated world and then have the robot go over and over again to pick up that pen. And you can have a thousand robots training at the same time, all trying to pick up pens. And eventually, then it eventually learns to pick up a pen.
0: I wanna double back on the training uh, a little bit. So in these simulated environments, where do you think that's headed over maybe the next five years?
1: Yeah. So what we're seeing is, you know, if you look at the way video games progress, they're getting increasingly lifelike, and people are starting to build. Like Nvidia has Isaac Sim. People are starting to build simulators that are use video game technologies for to raise a robot in. So you could and uh, you could have a robot live in a living room, it, tell it to move chairs around, pick up objects, and you can have it have this varied experience that is the kind of experience human children have growing up. Uh, we don't have mothers in there or parents or <laughs> fathers or caregivers. but um, And so you can give it this wide range of experience. And that allows us to go past kind of what we've been talking about so far, which has mostly been about skills. I keep doing this to mimic the, right. pick up the skill. <laughs> right. So there's much more that robots need to know. They need to know situational awareness. They need to know that uh, you know, people like waters in, in cups. They don't like it when the water is knocked over. You know, They need to know all of these things. They need to know where do the dishes go when you clean up the house and all the stuff. And so to teach them all the stuff, people are building simulated homes with simulated stuff in it.
0: Uh, and, and all right. This is, that's just fascinating. I've never <laughs> heard about this at all. So within these simulated environments, the, the, the graphics are real enough now that you can take the, the just the raw computer graphics as input. And it's close sure. enough to the real world to simulate it. That's one mm-hmm. critical piece. What what are the robots doing in these environments? Are they are they given specific tasks? Are they just kind of walking around and, <laughs> and, and watching? Mm-hmm. How, how's how's the training work?
1: Yeah, so they're given tasks. They're, one task is put things back. So it's supposed to like go in and note where objects are.
0: Like, like put things back after they've been moved around in a random way. They saw it before, right. and now they have to get it back to that before That's state. Right. Okay, yep.
1: and you can give a task like you know, make a cup of coffee, and it has to go to the drawer, get out the coffee, or the, I guess the shelf, put it in the thing, and move it over. And you can give tasks like just go to this position. So go find the bathroom, and it goes to the bathroom, uh, and you give a task like um, follow this other robot and do what that other robot does, where this other robot is teleoperated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, the t- other than the teleoperating, the great thing is that these can all be automated scripts. So they can be run millions of times while we're sleeping. Right. And, and, you know, and, you, and then you can, you can
0: alter different parts of the scene. You can put in obstacles, remove things that have maybe been there for a million training sessions, remove them. Now it has to deal with these new scenarios. That's right.
1: That's right. Oh,
0: just, just fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. It's, um, we're trying to build in common sense. Right. And, you know, it still has to interpolate between things it's seen before. Um, it has to have seen the situation. And now we can build a whole bunch of simulations, but it has to have seen it somewhere along the way, which, and then where my research ties, is, and I'm tr- it ties in is, that I'm trying to build these models so that it could, in a situation it had never seen before, reason from first principles if it needed to. And so we see this a little bit in self-driving cars. We initially thought if we gave it enough data, we'd get almost there. And we did, we're 99% of the way there. But it's not quite good enough. There's still still situations where the robot just doesn't know what to do because this particular, you know, the long tail problem.
0: Yeah, long tail, just too many corner cases. And
1: it needs to build up a, um, it needs to build up either you need to do a whole bunch more simulations so the corner cases are increasingly rare, or you need to enable the robot to build its own model, actual model of the world where it's like, okay, I am a thing that takes up space. And if I'm in space, someone else can't be in that space, and if I drive over something that's bad, um, and that something is a thing that takes up space, and some of these things are really bad, like children, but some are less bad, like cones. It needs to have that kind of level of understanding. But that's really hard, and, and one thing we can keep doing is giving it more and more training data so we get push more and more out into that long tail so it can do more and more stuff. And in fact, the next level of this kind of AI-generated simulation is the simulation is generated completely on the fly, not just um, what I was talking about before, where they, they have a living room and they can add in chairs and stuff. But now you can, with this uh, image creation technology, you can create a whole other image. So you can have like a car and you can say, okay, it's driving down the street. Now what would happen if you turn left? And in simulation, as the thing turns left, all it sees is generated by the computer using this generative AI, and so it opens up even more of what you can uh, what you can simulate.
0: Oh, that's fascinating because in that in that scenario, you're 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 kind of unbounded by the environment that you may be able to simulate.
1: Right, you're unbounded by what the things that the environment creator could think of. Right, right, and then you can just do almost anything, and um, and the robot then needs to do it. So if it comes up in a weird case, then you could generate all the different branches from that weird case, and you wouldn't have to have thought about that weird case ahead of time.
0: So the use of simulation has really unlocked the use of these deep learning techniques. What is the underlying model um, within these deep learning models? Like, what what is the design? How is it is it transformer based? Is it using classic you know? back-propagation, gradient descent, et cetera, to learn from these simulations?
1: Yeah. So a lot of it is transformer-based. Okay. And um, a lot of it is just feed-forward neural networks. And, of course, with computer vision, now you can look and see where the pen is. You can see where your hand is. Um, and then there's diffusion type methods that we've seen with these image generations now yeah. starting to make its way into robotics. Okay, I want I
0: want to talk about that. Let's let yeah. perfect segue. So the, I, I've I've read a little bit about diffusion policies. It sounds similar to the technique used within uh, generative computer vision technologies. How does it work within robotics?
1: Yeah. So the way it works in in vision is um, you take an image, and then you add a little noise to it. So you get a, now an image with a little bit of noise, like just a little some pixels. And then you do that again. You get an image with a little more noise and a little more noise a little more noise all the way. And you do that like a thousand times and you end up with complete noise. Right. And so you do that a whole bunch of times with a whole bunch of images. And what you can do then is that each transition, you actually, it's easy to add noise. But then you get like a training thing. You get a training record. And so you can say, oh, now I can learn how to denoise from anywhere. So right,
0: each of those steps.
1: Each of those steps. And so you, you basically learn a model, and then with some conditioning, you can say what kind of image you want. That can start with pure noise and end up with images. And it's just amazing. And It is. It really is. Yeah. And so for for robotics, one of the things we've been wanting to do for a long time is if I wanted to pick up a pen, I can just show it. I can just take its arm... Here you go, pick up a pen. But how does it generalize that? Because the great thing about robotics, well, the hard thing about robotics, but the great thing also is that every time the real world is different every time you look at it. Right. Your joints are never in the exact same spot.
0: The pen is never in the same spot. So it's
1: never in the same spot. And so, um, <clears throat> but we can, if we have a demonstration, that's that initial image in the, um In like the image and and the analogy. And so what you can do is you can take these demonstrations and then add a little more noise to that policy that created the demonstration all the way to complete noise. And then you can go back from noise back to the the policy. So it's the same processes, but instead of adding noise to images, you're adding noise to policy.
0: Okay, so each step, unlike unlike or or maybe like in the computer vision example where you you're taking an image you had a little bit of noise and then you train it to denoise at that step the robots are being trained to, to uh, essentially, eliminate the errors from each of these different stages of the task. That's right. That's okay, right. that makes perfect sense. And now, I've seen, I've also seen videos and read some papers about the use of sort of learning by watching, like robots literally watching people um, as the basis for the training. How frequently is that used these days?
1: It's used some. Um, there's uh, Google just came out with uh, RTX which basically they had a bunch of different labs around the world generate a whole bunch of training data and they were able to take that training data in different robot formats similar enough that you still could use it together and then just hand it in over to like a neural network transformer type thing and then with all this training data the robot can then sift through that and learn how to do the right stuff so it's it's hard to do just by watching a YouTube video because the morphology is not the same when are right. watching a human or something. But if it's, you can train from a bunch of different robots doing more or less the same thing, even if those robots themselves are different. Okay. And we've always talked about how great it is with robotics that if one robot learns something, suddenly all of the other ones know it. And we've kind of, at least with skill-based stuff, implicitly assumed it's the same exact morphology. But it doesn't need to be. That's what Google has shown. So that's pretty cool.
0: Oh, so you're saying that within these, um, within these videos, there are different robots with just completely different morphologies? Not completely
1: but different, but they're different types of robots, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they have different, and, uh, and they can learn from that.
0: And they can learn from that despite, despite the morphology differing.
1: Yeah, and, and the morphology doesn't differ by a lot. It's not like okay. one's got horns on <laughs> Okay. octopus-type robot or something. Okay. Like that. Um, and, yeah, and that's because neural networks. Because neural networks first unlocked uh, vision, uh, what was it, 2012 with AlexNet, yep. right? And yep. then natural language processing with RNNs and then transformers. And the beauty of it is it can map the squishy world and still use it. So before... Up until that time when we were doing everything with symbols, it was either at the symbol or it wasn't. And Mm -hmm. you couldn't really generalize very well. Right. And so what neural networks allow us to do is to generalize states. Okay. In a way we couldn't do before.
0: How how much has the... The the advancements in computer vision played a role here, because obviously completely independent of robotics, there's been an enormous amount of advancement in computer vision. Are these these robotic systems relying on computer vision for a lot of their advancements, or is that sort of um, uh, only applicable applicable in some systems?
1: They almost all use vision, and yeah, without vision, you couldn't do this stuff, right? You wouldn't. (laughs) You couldn't do it as well. You wouldn't know where the pen was and all that. Right. So it's definitely vision is a huge thing for robots, which is cool because for humans, it's, it's our main sense as well. Right, right, right. So.
0: Um, okay, let's transition a little bit. I'd like to ask about the, some of the current research that you're doing professionally right now. Could you maybe share a little bit of, of that with us?
1: Yeah, I can talk about my, my research goals. So what I want is for a robot to autonomously learn to understand its environment by building models of the environment. So we see that with ChatGPT, it does this incredible job of understanding what you mean and can take anything on the Internet and explain it to you. So the other day, it was explaining general relativity to me. Oh, I didn't quite get that before. Okay, now I got it. And I could ask it questions. I'm like, do you mean this? And it's like, no, no, I mean this other thing. And it it was amazing. But one thing ChatGPT and those types of things can't do is they can't go outside of what humans already know. So it right. has to be on the internet somewhere it has to be in its training data it can't think from first principles right and that means not only can it not invent new things but it can't act um, hyper local so if you say, "Hey, you know the guy brought the, the soda he set it down on the table actually it can do that pretty well, but it, <laughs> it can't do you can't teach it new things on the fly that it hasn't seen before um, and in order to do that, you need to be able to set up some sort of concrete model of the way things work so that when, it, when you get stuck, it can reason through from first principles. Okay, And that's what my research is. That's like the goal of my research. And so this is still using symbols. So I, I believe that you need to have some sort of symbolic model somewhere so you can do search over it well. But the neural networks are helpful because they allow us to map the squishy world to the symbols, which was always the problem before. Mm. So now I can say, um, "Yo, a table." I can say, "Hey, a table is something that you can put stuff on. It supports those things," and the robot could then understand what the word "support" means in a very concrete way, as opposed to just interpolating between everything it learned on the internet.
0: I've ne- or I've never heard it put quite like that. So, the use of um, these sort of deep learning models allow you to more easily access or um, model the outside world symbolically because they they handle that fuzzy mapping. Is that what you're That's saying? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, you're you you've talked. Uh, I've seen you give talks about the importance of sort of humanoid robotics. Um, let's talk about that for a little bit. Why why are humanoid robotic um, morphology so important? Yeah,
1: so that's important because everything around us is built for us. And so if it's going to work with us in the kitchen, if it's going to work in the in buildings, we, you know, it needs to go upstairs, take elevators, all these things. It needs the human morphology. And the, the reason human morphology has been so hard is because we're so unstable. We just stand on these two feet. And, you know, when we walk, it's really, they, they found that we're not we're doing something, we're doing controlled falling. So if we take a step <laughs> forward, we're not, at no point is our balance totally set, we're actually falling forward. And we continue that falling forward, and that was um, a big advance of the last 20 years, is they've been able to, like, work that out. So now we can, you know, they, the walk, you remember the thing from the What was it? That little horse thing they kicked like 20 years ago? Yeah. On ice and running around. Yeah. Uh, Boston Dynamics, I guess it was. Yep. And uh, and so now we can do that with humans, just with two legs, and they can they can walk. They're still not as good as, as as you and I, but that is a is probably been one of the hardest parts is to get the humanoid form, and then the other part of the humanoid form that's hard. Is the arms, but we've been working on arms for a long time. Usually tethered to a table, and it picks up stuff. Right, and then finally, the hard, one of the hardest parts is the fingers. Right, you remember in um, Planet That He Ape's the original one. He was doing his fingers like this to show the ape that he actually was intelligent, and that's what's really hard and, and, and now we're starting to see robots with some fingers, not just these grippers or not just these little suction cup things. Right. Which we'll probably still have those for a while. But you know, Tesla came out with that robot where it can do fingers and there was some research that's spinning a Rubik's cube and and so we're finally getting to the fingers and and so it's just great.
0: That uh, that that's just amazing. Um the the uh the progression right now, what do you think what do you think um the likelihood of like humanoid robotics impacting everyday life i mean obviously robotics tremendously useful useful in manufacturing big impact there many decades at this point when do you think like consumer impact on uh w- with these humanoid ro- robots is going to happen
1: uh it's still going to be a while <laughs> um maybe 10 years you could maybe buy one for the price of a car okay and uh um, and what's it doing it can probably set the table. It's probably not useful. <laughs> It'd be more of a, you know, novelty. Okay. Um, maybe twenty years they're useful. Okay. Yeah, I'm hoping that they can help take care of me when I get old.
0: Well, um, all right. Well, then that maybe makes this next part a little bit less uh, daunting. Like when we talk about how it's going to impact society. So if you if it's ten years out before you think they're um, really uh, impacting the consumer world. What, like, let's play out the next twenty years. How do you think it's going to impact society?
1: Yeah, that I worry about a little bit. I don't worry about the Terminator scenario and and that kind of thing, but I do worry about putting a lot of people out of jobs mm-hmm. and how are we going to adjust? And um, we definitely we need to balance these things because we certainly want to keep going with technology because. We've got all these problems, all these diseases that haven't been solved, uh, cured, and we need to get off this planet eventually. Maybe an asteroid will come. You know, we need to be we need to have the technology to do these things, and I want to hopefully live forever and all that great stuff. Uh, but our system is built so that people trade labor f- for food, and when their labor is not needed anymore, I'm not sure we'll have to have some sort of um, some sort of uh, welfare for everybody. But you know, welfare. Can make people feel bad. You, everyone still needs to have. I mean, some people are going to be artists and do great stuff, but some people are just going to not feel great about it, and mm-hmm. they're going to need some outlet for their creative energy, for their drive, and maybe they won't know what that is, and and it'll that'll be a big challenge as a society.
0: Mm. I'd love to ask you. You have any advice for uh, young people thinking about in- entering robotics?
1: Yeah. So of course you want to read and do everything you can. Uh, to learn, watch all the YouTube videos, and all that. Um, But the the advice I would say is just pick something that you care about and just get started. And it obviously has to be something you can make some progress on. So if you care about mobile robots, get you a robot that you can control and have it move around. And in doing that, you'll understand some of the problems and why they're hard. And then when you read the paper about it, you're like, oh, you actually care about this. It's not just some abstract thing. Right, And that gives you a grounding that really helps you uh, actually really learn.
0: Now oh, that makes complete sense. All right, we love to wrap up our conversations here with kind of a fun question, Jonathan. If you could have AI automate anything in your life, what would you do?
1: As silly as it sounds, I would love robot gardeners. So imagine you have a city. Well, at first you start with your yard. But a city that could just plant all the cool plants and maintain them like little bonsai trees everywhere and... And it would be like driving through a garden everywhere you go.
0: Just uh, a beautifully manicured world.
1: Yeah, and it could pick the plants that are native and know when they need to be watered, and it it just could be wonderful.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, Jonathan, this was so much fun. I learned so much about robotics. Um, I really appreciate you coming on board today.
1: Oh, thanks. I had a great time.
0: Thank you.